This morning we're going to talk about this issue of what exactly happens when we die. We're in our Choose Your Own Topic series, and we're looking at several different topics that you picked about questions that you had about life and about faith and about the Bible and about God. And so thanks to Diane, we're going to do this morning um, what exactly happens when we die as part of our Choose Your Own Topic series. Uh, Here's the thing. So as we've been talking about this issue, today we're going to look at Ghosts, goblins, and will I really be reincarnated as a chicken? Oh my, right? Because that's a concern for a lot of us. And uh, so we want to know what exactly happens when we die. Uh, A big part of this, as I was preparing this message and thinking about this teaching, a big part of this means that we have to sort of look back and go back and start at the very beginning. In fact, so today as we talk about what, and we ask this question, what exactly happens when we die? Here's a key that we're going to have to do first, which is this. We need to know or we need to start where we're coming from to know better where we're going. In other words, I'm going to have to spend half the time talking about where we're coming from in order for us to really have any kind of conversation about where we're going, especially after we die. So today we're going to be talking about this issue, what happens exactly after we die. Again, it's not going to be morbid. I don't think it's not going to be macabre. You know, it's not going to be anything bad. It's just going to be honest about what the Bible says. And there's going to be maybe some some surprises in there Um, for some of you. So let's talk about this issue. Let's see what the Bible says. Instead of picking uh, one text this morning, uh, we're going to actually look at a whole flurry of texts. In fact, there is more slides in in my PowerPoint this morning than ever in the history of anything I've ever done. So we're going to, no, we're not going to be here three hours. Don't worry, Shane. It's going to be like, we're going to have to go fast through all the different slides. Okay, so we're going to see what the Bible says. We're going to look at tons of different verses, lots of different pictures, and lots of other good stuff as well. We're going to start all the way at the beginning so that we can get all the way to the end by the time that we're done. All right, let's start here this morning. Three ideas. If you have your handout, you can follow along in your handout. Three ideas. The middle one is not really an idea. It's just a statement. So it's really two ideas, two principles we're going to be talking about as we figure out what exactly happens after we die. First idea, first principle that we're going to be working through this morning is that we are created by God for eternity. Now, this is absolutely critical. I know that you're thinking, well, we're here to talk about death and all that, all the fun stuff that goes with that. But we've got to actually start by where we were born. Our birth is really, really important for understanding what will happen when we die. So we are created by God for eternity. Let's just start and break this down real quickly here. First, first thing is this, is that God creates each and every person special and new. That every person here this morning was created by God special and new. Yes, you are a special little snowflake. Yes, you are unique. Yes, you are special. God created you new and unique and special. One of the things that we will encounter a lot of times in our world is sort of, is sort of this uh, naturalistic idea that we are just a biological organism that plopped out of our mom and that we are basically 90% water and a little bit of blood and bone and hair and a whole lot of mucus and stuff like that. And that's just all there is to us, you know? Yes, mucus, disgusting, right? But it's true, we it's got a lot of it in us, right? And so that's what we are. We're just a big bag of water and mucus. But the truth is, is that there's more to life than just that. There's more to us than just that. We are more than just simply the physical form that we occupy. Um, when God created us, we came into this world, we took on a physical form. God created us with a body and with a heart, with a mind, with a soul, with a spirit. We came into this world, but 
in coming into this world, it was a special act of creation by God. Yes, it takes a biological process as well, but the Bible tells us that we were created new and unique and special. Let me give you some examples. This is a great passage from the Bible. For those of us who are believers in Christ, it explains why we love life so much. Um, but the Bible says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And so we see here, the Bible's telling us, listen, God knew us and created us. It was a special act. I know that your boss doesn't think you're special. I know that sometimes your kids or your family may not think you're special. I know that when you go to the mall at Valley Fair, and like I did last week, and you have horrible service at the one store I was at, you don't feel very special, right? I was like, I'm the one who's paying for this. Why are you treating me bad, right? But sometimes we experience things where we don't feel special. But it doesn't change the fact that God created a special, and it was a new act of creation. Now this morning, I'm going to use a chart. I really don't like charts. Why? Because charts are very restrictive. And I make fun of charts a lot. But this morning, I felt like I needed to bite the bullet and use a chart. So I apologize for all of you who hate charts as much as I do. And hate them, their overuse in the workplace. For those of you who love charts, I will pray for you. And that's all I can say on that matter. Okay, so here's what happens. Here's our chart. This is a chart of our life. And what happens is, is that when we are born, that is the beginning. There's a line there because that is the beginning of our lives. We don't exist for forever. We don't sort of float around in outer space until God plucks us out of the ether and throws us into a body. That is not what the Bible says. In fact, we can contrast our creation with God's lack of creation. Let me say it another way. We are created beings, but God is uncreated. He has never been created. He is not going to be created because he always has existed. The Bible says that God has no beginning and no end. He's the alpha and the omega. The reason why is because God has no creation and no termination point. God has always existed. He is beyond our universe. He is beyond ourselves. Unlike God, because we are not like God, we were created. There was a moment in time where we didn't exist. We weren't even a twinkle in our Father's eye or our Heavenly Father's eye. Neither one, right? And so what happens is, is that through an act of biology and an act of God's plan and sovereign will in our world, that we are created. And at that point in time, we are born, we are created, we are a new, brand new, special creation. Because of the biological life that we live, our lot in life is to what? Is to exist only as long as the biology supports us. At that point, our lives, our physical form falls apart, it dies, and that's the end of us without a special act of God. So let's talk about how that is and what happens. The Bible says this in Hebrews, each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So when a person is born into the world, they're born into the world, they live their lives, and then they will come to a place where they will die, and as the Bible, uh, it's an abbreviation here, but we'll face judgment. We'll talk about that in just a second. But here's what happens. We're born into this world, a special act of creation. Unlike God, who is uncreated, we have a beginning and we have an end. By the way, God did not desire the end to be death originally. We'll talk about that all in us also in a second. But when we are born into this world, as it is right now, 
our, the biological life that we live, the physical form, it weakens, it grows older, eventually it dies. Now, here's the thing. What about reincarnation? Well, reincarnation is not at all in the Bible. Um, and so as Christians, we don't hold to reincarnation as well. I mean, at all or as well or in, in any regard. Here's the thing about reincarnation. Reincarnation stinks. That's not the right word there, but you get the idea. How many times do you want to be born in this horrible and perfect world? Let me ask it this way. How many times do you want to live a life and pay taxes? Because you're going to pay taxes every time you come back. And if you come back a million times, you're going to pay taxes a million times. By the way, reincarnation is hell. Okay, because you're born in this broken world over and over and over and over and over again. And yes, you could be born as a chicken or a cow or a lemur or a badger or a amoeba, if you're really bad, I suppose. Or you could be born as a rich person, but a rich person still has to pay taxes and still struggles. So do kings. It's not perfect. And you know what? There's no release from it. It's a bad idea. It's not a biblical idea. And so we don't want to, I don't want this kind of existence. I don't want to be like that. Of course, it's not my decision. But fortunately, the Bible says that what? We are born one time, we live one life, and at the end, we die one time. That's it. Whew, man, what a relief. In my opinion, what a huge relief. So survey says, no reincarnation. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next one. All right. So here's the thing. Because of God, we have the possibility of living for forever. That's a great thing. How did God originally set up the world? We can go back to the Garden of Eden. We can go back to the beginning, right in Genesis, and we see that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. They hung out with him, and there was no problems. There was no issue. There was no sin. And more specifically, there was no what? There was no death because God created us and gave us life and just decided, well, there's no end to this life. But it was because of the power of God that made no end of this life come in. Now, we remember if we've read our Bible that how did death come into the world? Well, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They said, I'm not going to do what you want anymore, God. So they trapped themselves, they became trapped by sin and brokenness. Once brokenness had entered into their lives, their lives became miserable, and so God cursed them with death, meaning that God said, listen, the way you can get out of the miserable life you lead is to die. And so death is both a curse, but it's also, in a way, without being too cliched, it's also a positive, I won't say it's a blessing, but it's a positive thing, and we'll talk about why that is in just a minute. But because of God, we have the possibility to live for forever. God can decide to make us eternal on the backside. So let's look at it this way. Here's your life, okay? God creates you right here, special act of creation. Then your life comes forward right here. God is the one who decides how long you will live beyond that. It is up to him. And fortunately for us, he has decided that he wants to extend everyone's lives for eternity. And that's really good. But it is by the power of God that that happens. Let me give you an example from the chart. Here we are. Birth happens, life goes on, and it just continues for as long as God desires. Yes, I know that we will face physical death, but if God desires us to live beyond physical death, then we can live beyond physical death. And we're going to talk about why that is in just a second. Now, it's not by our own power. Most of you here today are probably relatively smart, okay? I would like to consider myself relatively smart. You know that you cannot live for forever on your own power. I say that because you'll meet one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand people who believe they will live for forever. How many of you have friends who believe they'll live for forever? Raise your hand. I do. 
Okay, good. All right. I'm not the only crazy. I'm not the only person who knows some crazy people. Let's put it that way. There's some people who are convinced they're just going to live for forever. No matter what they do, they're going to live for forever. Well, unfortunately, no one's ever done that. Not here in the physical world. And so it's just not a possibility. There's nothing you can do in your own power to live for forever. You can't do it. There's nothing you can do. You can't cheat death because death comes to all of us. Again, that's where the good, comes, the good saying comes in, which is what? You, there's two things in life you can't get away from, death and taxes. And that's true. That's exactly the way it is. So there's nothing we can do. We are powerless over death. So here's the thing. Middle idea real quickly here. Everyone faces a decision. Now, this is where some confusion is going to come in because a lot of people that you talk to will say, I'm not really worried about the whole death, dying, heaven, hell, whatever, God thing in this life because when I die, that's when I'm going to, I'll be, it's like retirement number two and I'll work it out with God then. But we're going to explain today why that won't work and why that's not a possibility. Every one of us in this lifetime faces a decision. Let's look at a great passage. It's Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. It's going to be up on the big screen. Let's just go ahead and read it now. Romans chapter five says this. When Adam sinned, Sin entered the world. So Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Okay, everybody got it? The, it? Sin entered into the world. This brokenness affected everybody. For the sin of this one man, and we remember that we define sin as what? Anything that we don't do right, that we do wrong, that we mess up. Sin is not just stealing. It's also if we forget to pray, if we don't love our kids enough. All those things are sin. Sin is just our brokenness and selfish, selfishness that we are mired into in the human condition. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ." Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Okay, so let's see what Paul's doing here. He's saying there's two people that are really, really important for us. Number one is Adam. Why? Because Adam messed it up for everybody. Adam decided to rebel against God, and that rebellion went into his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids and great-great-great-grandkids and on and on and on and on. And so when we are born into this world now, we're born as people who choose to sin. We choose to rebel against God. We don't start out life loving God. In fact, we start out life rebelling against God. And we, we, you know what? You can see that. It's demonstrable because we don't start out life obeying our parents, do we? We start out life telling them, I'm going to do what I want to, mom and dad. You can't tell me what time I can come home, mom and dad. I'm going to take the car keys and do what I want to, mom and dad. If you try to stop me, I'm going to run away, mom and dad. That's what we say. That's the same thing that we say to God. And so what happens is here's Adam, who by one person who brought sin and death into this world. But on the other hand, there's Jesus, who by this one man, God allowed him to die as a sacrifice so that anyone who trusts in him can be freed from sin. One man brought sin into the world. One man will remove sin out of the world. One man will condemn us by death. Another man will free us from death. 
And so God set it up to be fair so that if we just simply know and trust God, we have faith in Jesus Christ that we will be freed from our sin. We'll be freed from all the crap that we have to deal with in this world, all the yuck, all the junk, all the mess. It will be gone and we can have a life that we desire. Now, the Bible says this too in Jeremiah 21.8. Tell all the people, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice of life or death. That's the choice. That's the decision that we all face. Here's what happens in this life. We're born, right? Let's look at the chart. We're born, special act of creation. We go through life, we live. But some point in this life, every single person has to make a decision. That decision is whether they're going to follow God or not follow God, whether they're going to have a relationship with God or whether they're going to reject God. Let me give you an example. You have two options every person has. Number one, you can have a relationship with God. You can accept Christ and know Him and know God. And you could say, okay, God, I don't know all the things you want to do, but I'm going to trust my life to you. Option B is what? You can reject God. You can reject Christ. You can say, nah, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm going to worry about it later. Uh, I got too many issues, too much life to live, too much money to make, too many uh, girls or guys to have. I mean, whatever. Let's be honest. I mean, people choose to reject God for all kinds of bad reasons. And that's what happens. In fact, most people, if we're honest, don't reject God for what reason? Most people are not like atheists, like Christopher Hitchens or Richard Dawkins who, you know, has this cottage industry of trying to convince people that God is not great and God is not real. Most people just ignore God. They just say, well, you know, it's, I'll deal with God later. You know, I'm just, I'm too busy right now in my life. I got too many other issues to worry about. I can't really worry about God right now. But my friends, that will be a mistake. And I'm going to explain why that will be a mistake in just a second. All right. The Bible says this in 1 John 5:12. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And so that is the critical part that comes into play when we're living our lives, that we have an opportunity to choose. By the way, every person gets this option. Okay, so don't tell me about the, the little kid in Africa, never heard about Jesus. I've been to the little kid in Africa. I've been in the farthest reaches. They heard of Jesus. They too have to decide. Okay, they've heard of God. They too have to decide. By the way, the benefit, the beauty is, is that you get lots of opportunities. I mean, God doesn't just give you one chance and then, okay, forget about it. He's not like that. He gives you lots of opportunities throughout your life. But at some point in your life, you will face a decision where you will choose for or against God. Now, third idea real quickly is this, is that death confirms the story of our lives. It is cliche to say that death is a new beginning, right? I mean, we say, oh, you know, it's a new beginning. But you know what? With cliches, cliches are what? They're, well, they're partly true. And partly not true. That's sort of the way cliches work. Death is not really a new beginning. It is in some ways, but really more than, more than that, is, it is the end of our old life. It is the bookend of our lives. So we have a bookend when we're born, and then we have a bookend when we die. And that, everything that's in the middle of that is our life. The problem is, is that death only does one thing. It seals us. Well, one of the main things it does is it seals us in our position. It seals the story of our lives. Let me say it another way. When we die, what we've done in our lives, and most importantly, the decision that we made is already sealed. There's no more negotiation with God. There's no more arguing with God. There's no more time out with God to figure it all out. At that point, it's a done deal. Let's look at it real quickly here. After we die, there's nothing more to do. That's the good news, by the way. Woo there's nothing more to do. You don't have to work anymore. It's nothing more to do. 
The bad news is, is that if you put it off until you die, then there's nothing more you can do either. Death seals it. By the way, we talked about sealing two weeks ago with the Holy Spirit, right? And we talked about that the Holy Spirit seals a believer. And this idea of sealing is really important because when we look out in the world, when God looks out in the world, he can tell who if rebelling against him and who are following him because they have the seal of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And death seals that decision once and for all. It makes it permanent. After we die, there's nothing more that we can do. So here's what happens is that when we die, death is the other bookend. Look, you can, we could check out the chart here. And what's interesting about the chart? What have I done differently about the chart than most people would expect? But this is the biblical view is that your life is not one long line that ends in death, right? If an average person just thinking culturally or secularly about what life is or biologically about what life is, what would they draw? They would draw beginning, they would draw life with one line, and they would draw death at the end. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. Because when a person goes through life and they reach that point of decision and they either choose to follow God or reject God, something very important happens in their lives. You see, the Bible says that when we reject God, that we are bound, that we are guilty of our sins, that we are stuck in them, admired in them as if they're quicksand, and we cannot escape them. And so we remain stuck. But the Bible says that a person who has relationship with God, that their lives are changed, that they are born again, or more specifically, the Bible says they are born from above, which means they have a new birth. And that new birth is what? Is an act of freedom that frees them from their sin and frees them from their brokenness. They are no longer bound to the brokenness of this, of their world, of this world, but they are now free to be able to love God and worship God. In fact, the Bible says that those who have made a commitment to follow God are no longer a part of this world because they are now citizens of heaven. They don't have to worry about the things of this world. Yeah, they still have to pay taxes and we still have to do job and all that kind of stuff, but there's a fundamental shift that occurs at the time of decision, not at the time of death. At the time of death, it's already sealed. It's already too late. This is the real chart of a person's life from the Bible. Now, some of you will ask about extenuating circumstances. And I'm just, for the sake of discussion today, there are very, very few extenuating circumstances. Things like revenge, murder, or suicide, they don't really matter. Okay, somebody's murdered. He didn't get a chance to live out his full life. He still had a chance to live. person still had a chance to decide that's up to God. That's not, my, that's not my thing. But I can talk to you about suicide, okay? Because a lot of people have wrongly been told that suicide is a mortal sin. Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't have mortal and venial sins. That's just made up by a group, okay? Listen, if I go out of here today, I have a car accident and break my leg, and I'm in a lot of pain, I go to the hospital... And the nurse, instead of giving me morphine, gives me something, morphine is some crazy cocktail that makes me go crazy. I run out of the hospital and I run right into the bus and am killed. I kill myself because I'm crazy. Does that change my state with God? No, of course not. Jesus still died for me. So suicide has nothing to do with it. Now, of course, suicide's not a good thing, but it is not something where there's mortal and venial and somehow it's going to hurt you or affect you or anything like that. Now, here's the thing. Extenuating circumstances don't really matter. Again, you have one life, you're born, you have one life, you have a decision to make at some point in time in that life, and then you will face death. That's what happens to everyone. What is this? 
Does anybody know what this is? Let's see if you guys are smarter than first service because first service, it took them a while and one person finally meekly cried out what it is. Anybody know what it is? See all the little skulls and the, all the little, uh, uh, what do you call them, skeletons running around and chopping each other up and lots of fun stuff? What is that? That says hell. That says paradise. What is that? It's purgatory. It's okay. Purgatory. Now, what about purgatory? I mean, don't we die and then we got to like do stuff? No. Okay. Listen, here's the thing. Purgatory is not in the Bible. Purgatory was invented by a lady named St. Catherine uh, in about the 12th century, if I have my uh, saints and my dates correct. Um, She invented that. As I said in the first service, and someone said drinking, let's just go with that. I don't know what she was drinking, um, but it's not in the Bible. And there's no evidence of that also, and it contradicts the Bible as well. There's no purgatory. There's nothing to work off. There's nothing that you do anyway. You either choose to reject God or you choose to follow God. That's really the option. So there's no working in the afterlife. Good, right? I don't want purgatory. You don't want purgatory. It doesn't exist, all right? It's just a figment of imagination. Now, what about this? You guys know who this is, right? Come on. This is not a hard one. Casper, right? He's a friendly ghost. Okay, so what about, what about ghosts? What about friendly ghosts? I mean, can we be a friendly ghost? Well, First of all, the Bible doesn't really view ghosts as a legitimate category. There are certain instances where, very rare, where someone who has recently departed, that God allows them to speak to someone who is still alive, but that is a extremely once in a thousand years kind of event and not something that you or I will ever experience. By the way, just like purgatory and reincarnation, do you really want to hang out here and haunt your relatives? I mean... Seriously. Yeah, okay, right. I don't think that would be much fun. I know the movies make it kind of fun because you can fall in love as a ghost and stuff like that. But the reality is, is that I don't think that would be much fun. Fortunately, the Bible says that we're not going to be ghosts, so we don't have to worry about being ghosts. So on Casper survey says, right, we're not going to be a friendly ghost. If you want to be a friendly ghost, fine, just do it Halloween. But it won't happen after you die. Okay, now, best... What about zombies? What about zombies? Zombies are really cool, right? Do zombies exist? <laughs> Sorry, zombies don't exist. You'll never be a zombie. They're not real. Okay, we didn't learn anything else this morning. Zombies are not real, okay? And they're not in the Bible. Okay, so no zombies, all right? But the, the, here, what happens then when we die? If we don't turn into a zombie, if we don't, which are not really that cool, I mean, maybe fighting them would be cool, but being one, I don't think would be very cool. So we're not going to be a zombie. We're not going to be a friendly ghost. We're not going to be suffering in purgatory. What happens then? Well, here's what happens. As believers, we go to live with God immediately. So if you have accepted Christ, if you have a relationship with God, you have chosen to follow God and you committed your life to him, then what happens is you go to be with God immediately. There's no waiting around. There's no working to do. There's nothing else to be done. You just go immediately. Now, I'm going to support that, but let me argue against it just for a second. Um, In the Bible, if you read through the Bible very carefully, it does raise the question of whether a person, when they pass, will sleep. Because in the Old Testament, it gives some ideas. It it talks about as if some of the people, when they passed, they slept until Jesus came, and then they were resurrected. They were given new life at that point in time. So let me just argue it with you this way. 
A lot of people believe that before Jesus came into the world, that when a person died, they died, they were put in the grave, and then they slept until Jesus came, and then it was the blood of Jesus that set them free forever, finally, and they were able to go to be with God at that point. If that was true, and there's debate because nobody really knows, but if that's true, here's what happened. The person who died... They slept, and it's just like when you go to sleep, you go, you go to sleep at midnight or whatever time it is, and the next thing you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. There's no, you know, I know you dream a little bit, perhaps some of you do, but you don't feel the time passing. It's just next moment you're awake. The Jewish idea is the same thing here, that when people died, they just were asleep, they were asleep and then that was it, they moved on, and when, when Christ came. If you want to believe in that, if you want to believe that you will die as a believer, that you will sleep until later when Jesus comes back to get you, that's fine. I'm not going to fight with you because it doesn't matter. However, I would argue that's probably not the best reading of the Bible. So the question then is, do we sleep or is it, um, is it something else? Sorry, clicker broke. Here's the thing. I think this is the best statement in the Bible on this. This is when Jesus is dying on the cross. And there are two guys on either side of him who are also dying. And Jesus replied to the one who said, Okay, I don't know all the details, Jesus, but I'm going to put my faith in you. Because I'm dying and it seems like a good thing to do. Ironically, we know from scripture that the other guy still did what? He's like, I don't care if I'm dying. I'm not going to trust in you or God. I'm not going to do it. And that's, we, you know, the Bible uses that as a great example of the way people are. Some people are like, I'm going to choose God. And some people are not going to choose God. So Jesus replied in Luke, it says, Jesus replied to the criminal with newfound faith being crucified next to him. He said this, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if today means you're going to fall asleep and the next thing you know today, you're going to, whatever, fine. But I think the Bible is more clear that when we die, we pass from this world. There's nothing to do. As soon as we, we die, we're immediately with God in his house. That's where we're at. We're immediately with God. We immediately dwell with him. We immediately know him. We walk into the house and there's God. Friends and family who have passed before us, there they are too. Now we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, but there we are in paradise. Now let me mention this because some of you may have encountered um, pastors who teach from the Bible that paradise is different than heaven and that it's a five-star hotel. So you'll see some people on TV, you'll, you'll meet pastors who will argue and they'll say that when you die, you go to paradise, which is a five-star hotel until the new heaven, new earth is made, and then you'll go to heaven. Um, I'm not going to argue with that. It's a misunderstanding of the, the Bible. Listen, the Bible is written in different language than us. In our language, English, we have one word basically for heaven and we have 200 words for poop. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? In other languages, you may have lots of different words for heaven and only one word for poop, right? I mean, in Tagalog, Telugu, come on. Spanish, how many words for poop is there? Not as many as English, right? Okay, but you need, okay, it's fine. So, right, there's not, not very many. And so when we, when we look at it, in the original language, in Greek and Hebrew, there was tons of different words that meant the afterlife, that meant heaven, that meant hell, that meant in between. And so what happens is there's a large vocabulary from people to choose from. And they did. So, you know what? Five-star hotel, whatever. I'm going to be with God. That's what the Bible says. Today I'll be with Jesus where he is at. And that's where I'm planning to be when I die. Now, here's the thing. When you're in heaven, is this going to be the way you are? 
Some of you, I hope, will be like this, right? Naked little babies with angels' wings and floating around with harps. However, <laughs> right, that's not the way it's going to be. You're not going to be a naked little baby floating around. Again, we can look at creation, right? Because in the garden, Adam and Eve were normal people. They had normal lives. They were just, looked just like you and I. They walked around the garden. God walked around with them. They just had a normal life. And so, except the normality was, is that they didn't have any sin or brokenness or issues or struggle or fighting or anything like that. And so when we go to heaven, when, when we who are believers in Christ, when we die, we immediately go and we enter into God's house and we're there. And you know what? It's like this, except perfect. So it, for those that may pass before me, I'll come in, I'll see you, you'll know me, I'll know you, we'll all know God. The Bible talks about us sitting around God's banqueting table, enjoying a meal with him. And that's the picture that God gives for us when we sit in his house and we dwell with him. The Bible says this in the very end of the Bible, last page, for those who are interested, Revelation 21, the Bible says this, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old order of things are gone for forever. And that's what it is. That when we dwell in God's house, we will be similar to who we are now. We'll know who we are. We'll know our friends. We'll know our family. But we will not, not have issues, problems, heartache, hurt, taxes, anything like that. Instead, we will be perfect and we will be able to dwell with God and those of us who are in his house together will be able to dwell there and not have any other issues or any other problems. That happens immediately after we die. There's no more time. You don't have to work anything off. There's no more debate. There's no more issues. Now, let's put it all together here. Let's look at our chart. Here's what happens. A person, your life, a person is born. They live their life. At some point in time, they make a decision. Notice here again, it's not one line. Everybody doesn't go in one line and faces death. Instead, in this lifetime, they will choose whether to know God or not know God. At that point in time, they will face death. Let's be real clear about what happens here. Because we read in Hebrews 9 where it says that when we, when, we, when we pass from this world, we die one time and we face judgment. Well, let's be honest. We all know the idea of judgment, right? I mean, we've seen it in Hollywood films. You see, you know, the person walk in, there's a huge throne and God's sitting on it and they're reading scrolls and, you know, slamming gavels and, you know, all that sort of thing. And you know what? That's true for people who reject, in a sense. It's sort of true for people who reject God. But for those of us who accept God, there's a different kind of judgment. For those of us who believe in God, who, who have faith in Christ, the judgment the Bible says that we face is the mercy seat of Christ, which means that when we die, Christ is going to be there, seated on a stool and says, hey, you're one of mine. Come on into my house. That's the judgment. That's all it is. Just that. You're one of mine come into my house. But for those people who don't know Christ, for those people who spend their lives rebelling against God, for those people who think that when they die that they're going to be able to work it out with God, they're going to be negotiate, they're going to bring their money in, they're going to be able to argue with God that that's going to be the way it is. It's not. The Bible says that they will face the throne of God. And what happens is they'll come in, they'll argue their case, but you know what? Their case is never going to be good enough because they haven't done anything good enough to erase all the bad stuff that they've done. It's just like when you go to court and you've been caught speeding 95 and a 45, right? You could tell them about how you're a humanitarian, how you saved the whales, how you did this, how you did that. It doesn't matter because you still went 95 and 45 and you're going to get the fine and you're going to pay. 
And so for those who don't know Christ, they can argue all they want before the great white throne. But the thing is, there's nothing else that can be done at that point. And so when we talk about these ideas of heaven and hell, you know, we misunderstand what they are. Heaven is just simply dwelling with God in his place. That where God is, we're hanging out with him. That's what heaven is. I know the Bible paints a picture of pearly gates and that sort of thing, but it's a metaphor. There's not going to be pearls you walk through. But the house of God is going to be so incredibly put together that it's going to resound with beauty and with his love that it's going to be as if it's made of gold and silver and decked with pearls. And at the same time, hell, I don't personally believe that there's literal fire. You know why? Because hell is the place of absence of God. And so what happens is when a person dies without God, they basically know for the rest of the time that God extends for them. They know that they basically told God off. They say, God, I don't care about you. They're going to know and they're going to burn with the hate of themselves because of the poor choices that they made. They're going to burn with an intensity that knows no understanding in this life. You know what it's like to, to be rejected by a woman or a guy and to know the pain and the burn in your heart? Well, that's the same burn times a million that a person who rejects God will know because they'll know that they spurned the God of this universe and that all the people who shared and tried to love them into heaven, they burned them too. And so they burn in their hearts. If you want to believe in literal pearls and literal fire, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Bible is being metaphorical there and explaining what happens when we, when we pass from this world because it is so important on every level, not just physical, but emotional and spiritual, that when we go before God, that we have already made the right decision in this life. So on that note, let's just pray about this. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, let's just have a moment here this morning. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what, pastor, I'm hearing you, I'm hearing you. I, I, you know, I don't know about the whole God thing, but I know this morning that something's got to change in my life because I've been living for myself and I do not want to rebel against God anymore. I don't want to go where people go that rebel against God. I want to know God and I want to have a relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you feel that way, all you need to say to God is this, God, I love you. I commit my life to you. Forgive me of my, my, my mistakes and my struggles. I'm trusting in what Jesus did to free me of my sins. And I commit my life to you for, for all eternity. You are my God. And, and as of today, I am no longer going to rebel against you. And Father, for many of us here this morning, you could say, <clears throat> you know what? I got I to gotta worry about my job. I got to worry about my boss. I got to worry about this. I got to worry about that. But I'm going to tell you what. For all of us here this morning, we need to worry about what people have done with their lives, what our friends and family members are doing with their lives. Maybe they're out there and just living for themselves. Maybe they think that they're going to figure it all out when, when they get to retirement or when they get to the retirement of death. But Father, I just pray that each of us here who are believers in Christ, who have really made that commitment, will love other people enough that they will desire to love God, will reach out to other people enough that they will desire to know God. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them, give them grace, that they would be able to teach other people and share with other people. Lord, if people choose to reject you, that's their decision. But Lord, I pray that we would do enough, that we would do our job. Lord, we lift all this up to you this morning, that we all here this morning, none of us would leave here without being fully committed to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, our hope today is this, is that we can be with God when we die, and that's true. We can be with God when we die, and um, it's easy to do. We just have to not rebel against God anymore, is what it comes down to. And in your hearts, everyone, we all know that. We all know the truth of that. All right. We all know the truth of that. All right. We all know the truth of that. All right. We all know the truth of that. All right. We all know the truth of that. All right. We 